Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host Panos Anagnostou. And I'm your co-host Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog. My name's Panos and Ignostu, and today I'll be answering a question coming in from Fiona. And the question goes like this, how do I make my obedience quicker, more flashier? For example, how do I make the recall faster? And um, put that away now. So she is asking when a dog is, when we call the dog to come and the dog comes really, really slowly towards us, that can be... Not doesn't look so nice. Also, the reliability can be lost because the longer it takes your dog to come to you, the more he gets distracted by things around him. Also on that point is if the dog is coming really slow, then there's not really that much drive and motivation. People want the – but the real answer, and I think where she's coming at here, is people want the things to look really, really cool. And they want that to happen really, really fast. And that's not just for dog training. That comes in the sport world, practicing uh, um, dance. Um, I'm more familiar with like martial arts. Everyone wants to make the the three the three step combo to pa 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 to look really cool, look like Bruce Lee. And all well and true. I think we should get to a point where we can look good and look fast at doing things. But there's many variables of what makes that happen, and. The first thing we're going to talk about, something that reminds me from my sensei talking about martial arts is he says, we want to practice accuracy first, then speed comes later. Speed comes as a byproduct of knowing what it is that you're actually trying to do. And you don't train for speed, we train for accuracy. So let's break that down. We're going to use the recall in this example. If I'm asking my dog to come, I want my dog to do it really fast, but you want to make sure that the actual finished product looks like it's coming really fast. You don't want to be, so you have to teach the dog what it is exactly that you want. Or if you're teaching the middle, which would be another example I use today and something that's a little bit more newer that I've been teaching, Nookie. So right now, if I tell her middle, middle, she'll come in nice and quick and just like with a recall, but not all the time. Because sometimes when I call her, she may not be as motivated to come towards me. So if she's distracted by things, if she's smelling the path and there's a dog out in the distance and I call her to come, now there's some times where she does it really, really good and it looks really awesome and I can put her on the lead with a lot faster time, but sometimes she comes a little bit slower. So I'm not in that moment there. I'm not going to tell her off or correct her for doing it slow, but there I just may not reinforce it. But it just depends because if I don't reinforce it, but she came from a very highly distracting or something that really took her attention, she wanted to pursue it or wanted to focus on it. If I I don't reward in that moment because she didn't do it fast, I may not be rewarding because she left the thing that she really wanted to go to. So that's where we can be in a bit of a pickle. And with that, we need to think about where is it that you're trying to ask for the behavior? And I'm going to go back to my list here. So, which is exactly what I was going to say is what is the the behavior that you want fast and flashy and be specific with that finished behavior. So, you need to really look at when I'm asking a dog to come, what does that look like? What is the final response of what you would reward the dog? And for me, 
I want the dog in a front position, sitting at my feet, facing me. So when I say come, you're sitting at my feet. How how you do that at the beginning, I'm not that um, fussed about it as long as I'm getting that finished result. If I can work on that sitting in front of my feet, sitting in front of my feet inside the house or inside the backyard where there's not much taking your attention away from me, I get that really, really nice. Then we start adding the distractions and upping the level of stimulus in the environment because she may not be distracted, but she may want to run and chase it. And there's a bit of a difference there, but we won't go into that just right now. We want to make sure that we're the most engaging thing. But before you make yourself so exciting and so... um so fun to be around what is it that you're trying to make her do so she can get that fun what is it that makes you fun and you and for in this case here nookie wants to be rewarded with the ball so if she really wants that she'll do it really well but if she doesn't want it then she doesn't want to do it so i'm really focusing on these two parts at the beginning here because we go if we don't look at accuracy of exactly what it is that you're looking for but you're getting but you're getting frustrated because she's not doing it fast she may stop doing the finish result right from the beginning or as the progression of the training goes on there's a lot of confusion so really nail down on looking at exactly what you look wanting reinforcing as much of that as possible in the early days and then over time as she starts to understand what you want we start getting a lot more intensity for it just for everyone to know if this is the first time listening i'm not a sport dog trainer i don't um work with agility and, and doing um advanced obedience and things like that so if you want to go into the weeds of that, then um, someone to look at is like start listening to the canine paradigm. Um, Pat's all over that. Um, all over, Pat Stewart, look into his stuff anyway. That's where we can get the flashy, more reliable, awesome behavior on that spectrum of training. We're just talking more about pet dog stuff here. So, um, and one thing that Pat talks about all the time, and I'm sure he didn't make this up, but if he did, then that's awesome. Is that mastery is the excellence? Mastery is excellence of the basics. And that comes with everything. So um, it reminds me of a kickboxer girl that I was um, f- watching on Instagram. She says, oh, today's a really cool day because we get to do the spinning elbow, the back, the, the the spinning elbow, whichever. I think she was like a reverse one. And she was saying it's cool because every other day we're working on fundamentals and basics. And, and here and there we work on the cool looking and the more dynamic postures and moves and strikes. And that's really important because that's exactly like dog training and like any skill building, practicing as much as you can and being really, really good at the basics and the fundamentals of the activity you're doing, then everything else that we're looking for, the mastery that we see, the Bruce Lee sort of execution is because it's the fundamentals that have been broken down into each tiny little baby step. So that's really cool. And knowing that and learning about that makes us more pragmatic with our approach, but also more disciplined in terms of we're looking at the smallest little behaviors and reinforcing closer towards your end goal. And it's really important to have an end goal. If you're looking at the recall and you're calling her to come and she's only standing at your, at your feet on and she's not in a sit, but your final response is a sit, in the early phases of training, in the teaching phase, yes, of course, just reward effort towards the behavior. But it's important that you get the finished product before you start making that look more reliable and to look more flashy and awesome. So really, really important. Leads me to the next point, which is which is really cool because I was about to explain every time I'm about to say the next thing, I've already got it written down. So it's really important that I'm following a guideline here. Otherwise, I'm going to go all over the place and you guys are going to probably stop listening to me. So um, here we have to make sure that we don't name a behavior till you love it. Don't name it till you love it is the thing that we talk about all the time. And um, 
And the reason for that is because if you name something too early, if you're still calling her to come but she's standing at your feet but she's not in that sit position, then that word come means what it is that you're paying in that moment. So make sure with um, luring and with gestures or however else that you shape the behavior, make sure that you get the behavior reinforced just on the on its body language, for example, the gesture of your hand in front of your knee, because the final response will be the word come with no gesture. And we want to make sure the word come means the exact thing that you're looking for. So that kind of all ties into what we we're just explaining. Next thing to consider is drive and temperament of the dog. What I get from spades and what I get from nookie are two different things because of temperament, drive, but also age of the dog as well. You know, spades was, would do things a lot quicker and a lot more awesome five years ago when he was five, not when he's 10 now and he's, you know, a bit of arthritis um, kicking in and things like that. But also the drive of the dog. So Nuki and Ace, for example, my, um, my dog that I recently had, had a really high ball drive, prey drive. He wanted to play a lot and not that spades doesn't want to. But that was a very, very big part of his reinforcement. And what comes with that is the drive and the intensity. Temperament of the dog as well, if your dog's old or sick or if he's um, if he's learnt over time that he doesn't have to do anything very fast and he still gets everything he wants, then that could play a role in this as well and depending on how long this time frame is between starting it and getting a really flashy, awesome finish result, maybe maybe years, you know, take some time for some of these things to come come along. And depends on how much you practice it, of course, as well. This is a little bit more in depth, but we talk about the use of negative reinforcement and sometimes in and also intermittent reinforcement. Check out episode 13 goes into a little bit more detail about what all that means. But of course, negative reinforcement, we talk about removal of a certain stimulus, a certain pressure that is that is reinforcing to the dog. So for example, when I'm teaching a dog to down, I would Teach them the behavior through luring. The dog knows that elbows and butt need to be on the ground. And then we go through the whole process of teaching that. Once the dog's in the training phase, he understands it. Then I tell him down. And then if he chooses to check out and doesn't want to, but he totally understood and heard me say it, we can now use some pressure on the leash to encourage that. Over time, something happens, where especially when the dog's in a good state of drive and understands that this pressure isn't a some forceful ac- action that happens to him that he hates. It's something that compels him and pushes him into a behavior quicker, but also understanding that, well, he's learning to try to avoid that pressure. So I tell him down. I use my gesture. He's like, nah, I put some pressure. I hold the pressure. He lays down. I take the pressure off the collar. I mark it. I reward it. And there's a cool little thing that happens when <laughs> you see this a lot, especially with the down, is you tell him down. And you're about to put some pressure onto the collar and they lay down real quick. Ah, I beat it. And as soon as they beat it, bah, you can jackpot it. And in that moment there, the dog's like, cool, I avoid that pressure, but I still get the reward. Then over time, no pressure's needed. Just given the command, you may get some flashiness out of that. Makes even more sense when you're rewarding not just with food, but you're rewarding like with the ball or the tug because that associates a, a more higher state of drive where sometimes with the food, the dog may not be that intense about it. And also, depending on how you release the behavior. So when I'm feeding with food, typically, and you guys, if you are regular listeners, I like to use the food as pay in in position, but you don't have to always do that. But sometimes if I want a really flash, flashy, awesome down, I would ask the down and then it happens. And then with Nookie, I'll go bang, which means I'm going to throw the ball or okay. And then I'll reward after it. Where if I'm saying yes and feeding in position, it's it's encouraging a more calmer behavior. And a lot of the training that I do with my clients, they were trying to ask for a little bit lower drive so we don't get the intensity because it's a bit more manageable for a lot of people. 
And with Nuki as well, or with, if I tell my dogs wait, they'll both lay down. But it's different if I tell them down. Down for Nuki is a lot more. There's a more of a potential for an intense reinforcement, more higher value reinforcement to come, which is for her is that ball. So um, that's another way of getting that. And that intermittent reinforcement, it's a rewarding of a random behavior. Um, the, the same behavior, but on a random schedule, so the dog doesn't understand when it's going to happen. If the dog doesn't know when it's going to happen, more frustration kicks in and that motivates the dog to do it. And apologies if I'm sounding a little bit soft today, but when the weather changes, some things happen to my lungs and I can't take the deepest breath. And if I start going <sighs> into the into the microphone, I don't want that to be annoying too. So if that's um something that you're thinking about, maybe you didn't think about it until then, but I'm certainly thinking about it. So anyway... With um, intermittent reinforcement, you're going to get more power, but it all got to do with dopamine. It's got to do with maximizing the chemical in the brain, the molecule that is is re- responsible for drive and intensity and that anticipation. And when you're anticipating something more and it's got to do with directly with your behavior, you may do it with more precision. And especially on that intermittent reinforcement, if you reward more of the faster responses rather than the slower responses, naturally some of that will start to come as well so and when i'm saying this this isn't one or the other a combination of all of these is what could create that finished response which is all got to do with as i said right from the beginning it's all about that accuracy let's be really accurate and specific about what it is that we're looking for and then that's when things start to look really good and that's the exact same thing like with driving if you've never driven before and you jump in the seat, you're doing it very slow and awkward and weird. And not just how you move, but how the car actually moves. And everyone knows there's an old player in front of them. Usually you're waiting a little bit longer than normal because they're still getting all of those mechanisms into a bit of a routine for yourself, right? Putting the keys in the car and clicking your seatbelt in and going into drive and taking the brake off to drive. That's a step. But for anyone who's driven more than you know a year or two, you jump in the car, you do all of that without even thinking about it. So the more that it's practiced, the more it starts to become natural habit. And the more that's un- and that's all got to do with the next point here is all about muscle memory. What is muscle memory? And that's directly, and I'm no neurologist or, or neuroscientist or anything, so don't mind me butchering this a little bit, but the nervous system has something called myelin. Myelin is the insulation that is wrapped around the nervous system each nerve ending and um like the nerves that go from your brain to your body parts the more myelin you have the quicker it becomes like insulation if i want to put insulation for our electrical cables outside the more insulation it has the quicker the the energy the electricity can pass through the less insulation it leaks out so from one end to the other that's why if you want good fast internet connection that 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 ethernet cable gives you the best response because it's a weaker signal coming from wi-fi or from a less insulated cable rather so the more you practice something the stronger your myelin becomes that's why you don't want to be practicing your mistakes definitely listen to the talent code um that is a book that's written by somebody that i can't remember off the top of my head but check that out um it was really fascinating actually in talking about how are these soccer players and skateboard riders and people that do extraordinary things how do they do it so cool and so effortlessly but also looking so so awesome and they dive deep into all of that so that's what's happening in our dog training as well the more that's why you don't want to be practicing your mistakes and it's one thing that you're learning from from in like any martial art for example is do it real slow 
get your accuracy right, know your body movements, know how to angle out, know how to where your positions of your arms and your legs are. Do all of that nice and slow and make that a bit of a a practice of like a slow practice, more like a Tai Chi sort of thing. Then over time, we add a little bit of more speed, making sure that the speed is directly related to how good you're doing it. And then as you start to make it a, hab- a habitual movement, it becomes muscle memory. Like, you know, I would like just the other day, I dropped something and I caught it in the weirdest way. And I wish someone was there to see it, but it was pretty cool. And that's because I do things like that often. So my hands, and that's why when I grab a dog and I will, and I am to work the dog, I may make things look easier and better than, and may make people feel incompetent, but it's only because I've practiced it a lot and I've also butchered it a lot. So I've learned how to get better at it. So then that's where it's all about with our dog training, looking at it as a skill development and the better you are at something, the better you're going to be at it. And that's really important. Make training fun and engaging. That's a given, right? You know, if training's not fun and engaging, then you're not going to get very flashy um, anything. Nothing's going to look really fast and awesome because a dog hasn't got any heart and soul into it, has no passion, has no, um, no, no reason to do anything fast. And if there's no reason to do anything fast, then why do it at all? So make sure that you're always finishing on a positive note and you're not making training a grueling experience. It's always something that the dog really, really loves. And make sure that you love it too so that you can put that extra energy and effort into it so that you're more animated with your dog, so your dog wants to work with you. And then also the three Ps, it's a given. Practice, patience, persistence. Listen to episode 73 on that one. The more you practice something, then you're patient and you're persistent with it. That is the foundation of a lot of skill development. So making sure that you know what you're working towards. And also maybe something that I could probably conclude on is, do you need it fast and flashy? Are you just inspired because you watched a YouTube video and you want it to look fast and flashy or you see me do something with my dogs and you're inspired by the coolness of it rather than the function of it? So make sure that you're asking the right questions. You know, um, do you want to do something really shit and really fast or do you want to do something with accuracy and precision and a little bit slower and then over time as you become a master of it you become faster at it and I think the latter is a lot more important is that we want to make sure that um put, you know doing some archery do a real slow at first understand the whole mechanism of what you're doing rather than just doing a fast and never hitting the target ever because if you don't do it if you don't get the result of hitting the target ever then you'll probably find no reinforcement no no um no reward in doing the activity so you stop doing it Think about how you develop where you're very fast and flashy at things, whether it's at your job or whether it's with the sport that you do or whatever it is, working with your kids, kicking the soccer ball, whatever, and then try to say, well, how did you get to that point and how can we translate that somehow in our training and while covering the things that we mentioned today. So I hope that answers your question, Fiona, um, and anyone else that was wondering the same thing. As always, if you've got any questions, hit me up and... Until then, have a good day and don't train for speed, but train for accuracy. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to another show of Life With Your Dog. Please like, rate and share if you're enjoying our podcast. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. For all dog training videos, tips and techniques, visit nooches.pooches.com.au. Thank you and stay tuned for next time.